Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Roman chapter 10 for the reading of this morning's scripture. We will be reading Romans 10, 14 through 21. And the word of the Lord reads, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With the foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a dis disobedient. This is the word of the Lord. The late Jerry Bridges once wrote, we are not the terminus point for the gospel, but rather a way station in its progress to the ends of the earth. God intends that everyone who has embraced the gospel become a part of the great enterprise of spreading the gospel. You see, the truth is simply this. You were not saved simply for you. That right there is a truth that if we would just, just learn and just embrace, if we would just take that truth and just let it be kind of like the focus of our life, it would absolutely change everything in our lives. It would help us to see the world in a whole new way, and it would give you and your life a true purpose and meaning. It would bring meaning to every facet of your life, even the mundane parts of your life. And it would bring you joy, more joy than you can possibly fathom, that you were not saved just for you because you are too small of a thing to live for. You were saved for something bigger, something grander. Now, don't get me wrong, you are certainly a beneficiary of your salvation. Your salvation benefits you in a big way. We talk about that over and over and over again. But the thing that we need to realize is we're not the end point of what God is doing in our lives. We are not the terminus point of what God is working. God has a purpose and a plan and a reason for saving us. You were brought into the kingdom of God for reasons bigger than your own life. And that is for the glory of God. That's why you were redeemed. 
Our catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Or in other words, what is the purpose of mankind in his life? And the answer is simply this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the purpose by which we were saved. You were saved by God, for God, and to glorify him in your life. But what does that even mean? How are we supposed to do that? I mean, there's certain things that, that Christian people say that just sound like the things that religious people say. You know, I just want to glorify God in my life. You know, you've heard, you know, the, the religious people, every time you say something, they go, glory to God, glory to God. And for some, this conjures up images of doing incredible and even unusual acts of faith like going to long-term missions trips to third-world countries where you have to eat bugs and walk down dusty roads to, uh, to pass out some Bibles. You know, some people think that's what it means to glorify God. Other people think that glorifying God is doing big projects, like starting a homeless mission in a major city or, or writing books that changes the lives of millions of people or, or, or standing in a parking lot in a big stadium somewhere with a megaphone and a sandwich board and, and, and screaming at people as they pass by. Others, it's about visibly engaging culture and the culture war and standing against every kind of evil and stating those things on social media and raising a social media campaign uh, to make awareness and, and mobilizing people to take, you know, to take to the streets, right? trying to get people to call senators and proclaiming you know, you know, their support for this and hashtag that. Right? And I want you to understand, those things certainly can be important, and those things can be a method to glorify God, but the reality is glorifying God in your life is about living your life right where you are, here and now, in your day-to-day -day existence. But, but doing that in a way where you're on mission for Christ. It's about living the life that you already live, working and raising your family and going to school and paying your bills and being involved in the community. It's, it's, it's about living the life that you already live, but doing so in a way that's for His glory and not your own. And a part of that is to intentionally live in a way where we share the hope of Christ that God has given to us. It's about sharing the hope of Christ with the people that we already come in contact with. It's not about us being super influential people who go out and, you know, do big crusades and, you know, storm the mall and like pass out a bazillion tracks. It's about you influencing the people in your life the people that you're already in contact with. It's about being on mission for Christ in your ordinary, everyday, mundane life. That's where we're to be on mission for Christ. And again, it's not about doing big things like starting a ministry. It's about taking advantage of the opportunities that you already have to share the hope of Christ with those people that you are already engaged with. But here's, and here at First Baptist Church, we've taken this mission and we've 
tried to make it as simple as, as possible, and we've broken it down into the four practical things that everyone can and should be doing. And those things are sow the seed, love the people, pray for God to change their hearts, and then never give up. And you don't have to rush. Those will stay up there for a while, so you can take your time. But those are the things that we're to do, right? We are to sow the seed. Or in other words, we're to share the Word of God with other people. Because the Word of God, if you read the Bible, is likened to seed. We're to sow the seed wherever we go. And we're to be like the farmer in the parable of the sower. The sower in that parable, he didn't just sow the seed in one area. He just sowed it everywhere. He sowed it on the, the hard ground and, and you know, amongst the rocks and amongst the thorns and even finally amongst the good soil. And what we do is we do so trusting that the seed will grow if it falls into the right place. And we understand that, as Jesus said, that some, will, that some people will be hard-hearted and they'll reject the gospel. And others will receive the message with great joy. And, and it will look like it's taking some effect in their life, but they won't produce any fruits. And then some, for some, it will fall into their hearts and they will receive it and it will grow up and it will bear true repentance of faith. Right? And the thing that we need to realize is it's not our job to prepare the soil of a person's heart. Right? It's not our job to change people's hearts. Our job isn't to make seeds grow. Because guess what? You don't have the power to do that anyway. Right? Seeds grow because that's what they do. Right? It's our job to sow the seed, to proclaim the word. And, and then we're to love the people. Right? Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that they could see your good works and give glory to God. We are to, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus is, is how we've said it before. We're to show the world that God loves them. We're to show the world what the love of God looks like in a very practical way. And we, we do that in many different ways, like meeting people's needs or showing grace to someone who, who needs it. Or even the hard things like forgiving people who wrong us. We visibly are to be the examples of God's love for other people. And, and the truth is, God loves all other people, and we ought to love what God loves even when it's hard. And then we're to pray for God to do the part that only God can do, which is to do what? To change people's hearts. Right? Only God can do that. Right? We pray for God to do the part that He does. And unless God changes a person's heart, they will never receive the gospel. That's the truth that Paul's been driving home since Romans chapter 1. And then finally, we are to never give up. We sow the seed, we love the people, we continually pray, right? knowing that if we do our part, God will do His part. And then we just continually labor, knowing that our labor will never be in vain. We do what we're called to, get, to do and let God do the part that He does. And then we continually do it to the end. That's how we glorify God. But here's, here's the challenge. 
when most people think about the Christian faith and when they think about following Christ and they think about what it means to glorify God, one of these four things becomes the dominant identity of the Christian faith. Any guesses of what it might be? It's, it's the loving the people part. Most people, when they think about being a devout believer or living a life on mission for Christ, when they describe what it means to believe and be a Christian, it's typically spoken of in terms of loving other people. And this is true for Christians and non-Christians alike. right? But, but why is that? Well, it's because loving people is really the easy part. It's easy for a number of reasons. First of all, it's easy because it's a visible and tangible way to be on mission, right? You can see the results of what you're doing. When, when you donate food, right? When you help someone in need, when you lend a hand to someone and help them move, or you volunteer for VBS, when you do those things, it's a visible impact on the world around you. You can see it. You can smell it. You can touch it. You can, you can, you can see the impact, and guess what? When we do those things, what happens? It, it feels good, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It feels good to, to help someone else. It feels good to tangibly love on other people. It feels good to give Christmas presents to kids. It feels good to feed people who are hungry. It feels good to help those who are in need. Secondly, it's easy because the church loves doing these kinds of things. These are projects we can agree on right? The church applauds, you know, people for helping the less fortunate. They love to gather people together for the body of Christ. They love to gather people together. In fact, you know, let's talk about a project that's coming up. We're going to do a, a, a worship night together with a couple other churches, May the 13th. I forgot to make that announcement, right? We're, in, in fact, you know, easy is part of that, Michaeli. Right? We're, we're getting our churches together. We're going we're gonna to get together and we're going we're gonna to love the community through music and, and worshiping. And it's going to be a wonderful time together. Right? The church loves those kinds of projects. And if you remember the, back in the days, there were churches got together to do the Born Kids Outreach Program. Right? It's easy to mobilize those kinds of things because it's visible. It's tangible. The third reason why it's easy is because the world applauds those kinds of things. The world applauds the church for helping the less fortunate. The world applauds when we feed hungry people and provide clothing and, and shelter to the poor. In fact, I don't know if you realize it, but the world kind of expects that out of the church nowadays. The world expects that the, that the church help people. That's why people show up looking for, for, for food and, and for gas and for, for money for bills. And, you know, because, because everyone knows that, that the churches there are supposed to be there to help people. In fact, one time there was, when I was a new pastor, I had a person who, who wasn't a believer call me to tell me about a person that they saw and talked to who was in need, like immediate need. And I was like, okay, why can't you help them? You're like, they're right there with them. Oh, well, I thought that was your job. I'm like, isn't it your job as a human to help too? I mean... But that's, that's the expectation of the world. I want you to know. People just expect that's what the church is for. The, the world expects the church to love people. In fact, it encourages that. And the world points to that and says, you Christians, you need to do more of that. 
You need, to, you need to do those kinds of things, right? We don't want to hear your doctrine. We don't want to hear your confession of faith. We don't want to hear your preaching. You just need to do more of that other stuff. And the world tells us that. And it's when we're doing that, it's when you church people do that, that's where the world says that that's when we like you. That's when we accept you. In fact, Several atheists acknowledge the fact that the most generous, loving, compassionate, and kind people in the world are Christians. They recognize the fact that we wouldn't have things like hospitals and adoption agencies without Christianity. The world wants us to do that. And, and they say, it's, it's when you do that is when we like you. It's when you do that, that's when we'll listen to you. It's when you do that, that's when you're going to win converts. The world tells us that you win converts to your religion by doing more stuff and preaching less. And the, and, and, and the worst part is many Christians and a big part of the church has bought into that truth or that, 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 that idea. Because loving people is easy, right? And because the world accepts that and because... And, and because we believe what the world says when they, they, they say that you will win converts if you'll just take your efforts, right, and, and love people and just be quiet. The church kind of buys into that idea that that's what we're supposed to do. In fact, it's because of that that, that, that many people in the church adopt unbiblical attitudes about the mission of Christ. For example, a very popular quote that many people repeat today is, the church needs to show the world what we're for rather than telling the world what we're against. Well, everybody knows what we're against, so we should be telling people what we're for. In other words, we don't need to hear the word of God about sin and repentance. Right? We just, we just want your your love and, and, and your help. And it sounds good, right? It sounds philosophical, especially in the world today that's really skeptical and, 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 and very antagonistic. It sounds so, such like an easy message to kind of live out, but it's misleading. Here's another example. I've heard even people in the church say this. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Again, the idea is rooted in the assumption that the mission of the church is, is simply to meet the needs of people and help people, and that Christians are always to be nice and pleasant and never offend anyone and live lives with, with good works. And somehow, someway, by osmosis, people will then want to be like Christians and start going to church. And then, and then somehow, by being around these amazing people, they will learn about Jesus and be saved. That's kind of the assumption, that if we're just nice enough, people just want to be like us. But the problem is loving people and meeting needs and helping those in need, as important as that is, and I want you to hear me, it is important. Right? It is important. But it's not the most important thing that we do. In fact, if these things become the focus of our mission, if, if, if ministries of mercy become the focus of our mission, oh, church, hear me. We are wasting our time. I know this is a hard truth for people to hear, but it is the truth. Because what is the promise of the gospel? 
What is the promise of the gospel? Is the promise of the gospel that Jesus came to give you a pain-free, problem-free life? No. That's not the gospel. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have what? You'll have trouble. You'll have a tribulation, another translation puts it. And the New Testament speaks again and again and again of, of suffering that we are all called to endure in this life. Right? Is, is, is the call of the gospel to come to Jesus so you can be healthy, wealthy, and happy? Jesus said that if you store up treasure in heaven, you're, you're to store up treasure in heaven and not on earth. And, he, and the Bible mentions that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right? And there is no promise in the Bible of physical health or continual happiness in this life. In fact, Paul even prayed to the Lord that he would remove from him the infirmity. And Jesus said, what? My grace is sufficient for you. No, the promise of the gospel is what Paul so eloquently declared for us in the last section that we were in. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the beautiful expression of the gospel. You see, the promise of the gospel is not an end to human hunger in this life. The promise of the gospel is not an end to loneliness in this life. It's not an end to unemployment. It's not an end to cancer. It's not an end to war in this life. The promise of the gospel is not for your favorite political candidate to win the next election. I know we we all have our hopes and thoughts on that, right? But that is not the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is not about material comfort. The promise of the gospel is about salvation. That we are saved from our sins and the wrath against the wrath of God that's against our sin. That's why Paul says that one of the biggest blessings of the gospel is we have what? We have peace with God. We're told in the, the Word of God that we were once His enemies, right? We were rebels against His will. But we now have peace with God through the gospel. The promise of the gospel is salvation. And that, brothers and sisters, is our greatest need. Which means the heart of our mission is to help people come to saving faith in Christ. That is why we do what we do. Let's make no mistake about that. This is the mission that we're called to. So here's the bottom line truth. If we feed people and we keep them fed for their entire lives, but we fail to help them come to know Christ, and they step off into eternity not knowing Jesus, we have wasted our time, our energy, and our money, and we've made ourselves feel good for nothing. if we make sure that every kid in this community has felt loved and wanted and has Christmas presents every year and we give them cleats and baseball gloves and have all the things that they need to play sports and give them backpacks for school and we, we help them to do what they need to do to get good grades and they get a scholarship to an Ivy League college and they become rich beyond their wildest imaginations, if we do that and they one day die and they face God and had never heard the truth about Christ, we have monumentally wasted our time. Because the greatest problem facing the world is an eternal problem. 
It's not temporal. Every person you feed will one day meet God face to face. Do you realize that? Every person that you help to succeed and achieve their goals and dreams will step up into eternity and come face to face with the righteous judge of all creation. The world's greatest need isn't a temporal need. It's eternal. We need salvation. And that's the promise that the gospel gives. The promise of the gospel is all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that then mean for the mission that we're called to? Well, Paul explains just that. We get now to the heart of the issue. Paul says in Romans 10, beginning in verse 14, how then will they call on him and who they've not believed? Paul again begins by asking a question, and he, and he asks, if, if those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, how then will they call on him for salvation? How will they call if they have not believed? You see, salvation doesn't come by works. It comes by what? Faith. As Paul has repeatedly made clear in the the letter to the Romans, justification comes by grace through faith. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is required for salvation. And I know that we know this. I mean, you've been here long enough to know we know this, right? But let us continually remind ourselves of this truth. Because there's a world out there that's trying to change our minds about this. You cannot be saved without faith. You must believe. I don't care who you are. No one gets to be saved because they're a good person, which, by the way, is the cry of the entire world, right? Every person you will ever meet said, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. I mean, just about every person you will meet in your life considers themselves to be a good person. I don't care where they are, what kind of life they live, what what their economic status is. Every person has a view of what, what it means to be good, and somehow, someway, they magically rise above that line. But that itself is self-righteousness. Not to mention Jesus didn't come back to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. No one gets saved for being a good person, by the way. No one gets saved for doing good works, no matter how many people you feed and how loving you are, how compassionate you are, and how many old ladies you help across the street, and no matter how many homeless people you feed or how many kittens you res- rescue out of, out of trees or how many people love you and know your name. And no one gets saved by being devout to a religious system. No one gets saved apart from Christ. I don't care how de- devoted a person is or committed to their religion. I hear people all the time saying, oh man, you know, Muslims, they're, they're so much, you know, they're better and more devout to their religion than, 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 than we Christians are. So what? It doesn't save them. It just makes them zealous for their religion. Paul says that if a person is going to be saved, he must call upon the name of the Lord and he must recognize his state and cry out to God. Lord, save me. But in order for someone to do that, in order for them to cry out to God, they must believe. They must be convinced of the truth. They must understand the truth about who God is, that he's the only creator and that he is holy, righteous, and just. And they must understand that that. 
they have a relationship that, that they were created for with this God. They were created in the image of God. What a mind-blowing concept. We were created in the image of God with a, with a special relationship in mind. But the problem is that special relationship was destroyed and that image has been distorted because of, because of our sin and transgression. You see, our problem isn't that we are good people who occasionally make mistakes. As the world tells us, we are fallen, broken sinners who continually sin and rebel against God. And the only good that we do is really by His grace. This is the truth that Paul has been driving home, by the way, throughout the entire letter of Romans. We are all sinners by nature and will. And that sin has destroyed the relationship with God that we were created for. And what is worse, most people love their sin and hate the God that created them. All right? And because of our sin, God's holy anger burns against those who were in their sin. His justice lies in wait. His righteous hatred of sin hangs over those who were in their sin. And those who die in their sin will one day stand and face God as a judge. And He will declare them to be what they are, guilty. And they will get what they rightly deserve, which is, the Bible says it in many different ways. It's called a second death. It's called hell. It's called the eternal torment. But God will give them what they have earned by their actions in eternity of suffering apart from His gracious love. Right? That's a truth that people must believe. And to make matters worse, there's nothing we can do to fix it on our own. Suppose that you recognize that, you're, you're, that you are sinful. Our natural response when we finally come to terms with that is what? I better get my act straight. I better try harder. I better get right with God. I need to make sure that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. I need to try harder. I need to work harder. I need to be more sincere. I need to do this. I need to do that. But the problem is there's nothing that we can do of ourselves to undo our condition. We can't make up for our own sins. You can't atone for your own sins. Your good deeds will never wash away the stain of your own sin. And, and it's not that our good deeds aren't good. I want you to hear me. It's not that the good things that we do aren't good because they are good. It's just that our sin has contaminated every part of our existence, which means we are helpless and hopeless on our own, and we are desperate in need of God's mercy something that we don't deserve, by the way. So our greatest need is for someone to rescue us. But the good news is Christ came to do just exactly that. That's the good news. God sent His Son into the world to live the life that we couldn't live, to keep the law that we broke, to earn a righteousness we could never earn, and die on the cross to atone for our sins. He died for you. <coughs> and then He was buried in a tomb, rose three days later, proving that those who trust in Him will be saved. Jesus rose from the grave in history, proving that God in the flesh, that He's God in the flesh, and that He can save you from your sins. These are the things that a person must believe before they will call upon Christ to be saved. They must recognize how desperately they need Him and believe that He can save them. We need to believe that He can do what He's promised He would do. Before anyone will call on him to rescue. And then Paul asks, How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've 
never heard. In order for a person to be saved, they must call upon the name of Christ. In order for them to call on Christ, they must believe the gospel. But Paul asked the fundamental question, how are they to believe the gospel? They've never heard the gospel. This reveals an important truth that many people want to deny, and, and, that, is, and, and that is people don't come to a saving knowledge of Christ on their own. There's, some, there's kind of like this kind of weird idea nowadays that there are just people who can just meditate and think about things and somehow, some way, that they'll come to the truth of the gospel on their own. It doesn't happen. No one reasons his way to God and discovers the truth about the gospel on his own. No one suddenly has a vision or dream of Jesus and then understands the gospel and then somehow are saved. In order for someone to believe the gospel, they must hear the gospel. I want to say that again. In order for someone to believe the gospel, they must hear the gospel. This is a truth, church, that we need to let sink into our hearts as the world wants to push against the message that we have to proclaim. In order for someone to believe the gospel, they must hear the gospel. People don't get saved by reading the message in the stars. It doesn't happen. People don't get saved by meditating and discovering the truth. They don't get saved by observing nature, as some people will teach. The fact is, nature reveals God and His holy character, as we see in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 tells us that everybody knows that God exists. Nature reveals the existence of God and His holy character, but nature doesn't reveal how man can be made right with God. As Sam Waldron from... Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary said in a lecture on the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, he says, natural revelation gives enough, gives enough light to be damned, but not enough light to be saved. In fact, the confession says it this way, says, the light of nature and the works of creation and providence so clearly demonstrate the goodness, wisdom, and power of God that people are left without excuse. However, these demonstrations are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and and His will that is necessary for salvation. If you're to be saved, you must have more than just what nature reveals. You must have the special revelation of God in the gospel. The gospel of Christ is His special revelation of Himself and His plan of redemption, and no one receives that message. No one believes that message right, until they hear that message. But how do we receive that message? How do we hear it? I know this seems like a silly question. But the truth is there are many people in the world today who call themselves Christians who think that the way that people hear the message is by watching the lives of Christians as they go out into the world and do good works and watching them love their, their world and their neighbor. Again, the popular saying, you know, preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. Again, it's this idea that somehow that people are going to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ simply by watching Christians do good things. But notice what Paul says. How are they to hear without someone preaching? So it seems that words are necessary. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 17, says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing the word through the word of Christ. 
In order for people to hear the gospel, someone has to proclaim the gospel. If someone is to be saved, they must call upon Christ and they must call, and if they're going to call upon Christ, they must believe the gospel. And if they're going to believe the gospel, they must hear it. And if they're going to ever hear it, then someone must proclaim it. Someone must use their words to declare it. Someone must tell them about it. And that someone isn't just me. That someone is is you. You know I love you, right? I love you enough to tell you the truth. And that someone who is to proclaim the gospel to the world around you is you. But pastor, I I don't think we need to proclaim the gospel. I mean, I mean, you know, people don't want to don't, don't want to hear it anyway, right? And 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 we don't actually have to proclaim it. We we can just we can just live it, right? Right? We just need to live the gospel. Have you ever heard that expression before, by the way? Right? People will say, you don't need to proclaim the gospel. You just need to live the gospel. I've heard lots of people actually say that. Like, you you need to live the gospel. And it it sounds noble and spiritual, but but you can't live it. Because here's the problem. What is the gospel? The word gospel is from the Greek word uh, euangelion, which is the word we get, we translate to evangelism, but it literally means good news. The gospel is good news. Well, what is what is news? Well, the news is information that people need to hear in order to know. News is something that must be declared or proclaimed and then heard and understood. Right? News isn't something you live; it's something that you deliver. Like in the news, we find out that there was violence in Sudan. We've, we've been hearing a lot about that, right? And that the U.S. Embassy, the personnel in the U.S. Embassy in Sudan have been evacuated. That is news. And if you want people to know that news, you have to communicate that news to them by telling them that. You, you, you can share that with them, but you can't live the news. Does that make sense? It's the same with the gospel. You don't live the news. You declare the news. You communicate the news. You share the news. You spread the news. But you can't live the news. And and hear me. There's a way that we are to live in light of the gospel, but you don't actually live the gospel. People are not going to come to faith because, because you're nice to them. People are not going to come to faith because you, you do good things for them. They might listen to you and listen to the gospel because of that, but they're not coming to faith because of that. People are not going to come to faith in Christ because you never lie, cheat, or steal. People are not going to come to faith in Christ because you live a certain way. The only way they're ever going to come to faith, the only way they're ever going to believe is for them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and the only way for them to hear it is for someone to declare it. And the only way for someone to declare it is for them to be sent out into the world to declare the gospel. Or as we say, sow the seed. So this is where all of you come in. This is where we all agree together that there's a mission 
that we are all on. We need to understand about our faith and the way that people get saved. Right? Isn't that they're going to wander in here somehow magically off the street. Right? I mean, it might happen. But we're not expecting that people are just going to wander, hey, let me find out what this church thing's about and walk in the door and hear the gospel and get saved. Now, now you know me, that I'm going to preach the gospel every Sunday, no matter who walks in the door, whether you invite them or whether they, they come in on their own. I'm going to proclaim the gospel and I'm going to call people to repent and believe every week. But understand, I am not going to reach the world around us by myself. I'm not going to reach even this community by myself. I'm not going to be able to connect with the people that you have in your life to connect with. I'm not going to have the relationships in place in order to be able to share the gospel with the people that are in your life. And guess what? I wasn't meant to. This is the mission that we are all called to together. This is a mission that you are called to. That you proclaim the gospel to those around you. That you are the one sowing the seed of God's word in your sphere of influence. If people are in your sphere, if they're going to hear the gospel to be preached, you need to be the one to preach it. You're being sent out to do that. I'm sending you out. I'm calling you to step up and take part in the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ is for us to evangelize the world around us all. My job isn't to evangelize born by myself. My job is to equip you and help you also to do that. We must, all of us, take this to heart. Now, you certainly are called to love people, right? All of us are called to do that. But you're also called to sow the seed, which means you must learn to use your words to tell people about the hope that Christ has given you. And people need to hear the true gospel, not the squishy, soft gospel that I hope I don't offend anybody with. They need to hear the truth about who God is. And then in light of that, who we are. And then in light of that, what God has done to redeem us. They need to hear what Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's what they need to hear. And the only way that many people in our lives are going to hear this is for you to tell them. You are called, all of us are called to do this. In fact, you were saved for this very reason. You were called to be on mission for Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is the mission. Because how are you going, how are they going to call and be saved if they don't believe? And how are they to believe unless they hear? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? And how are you to preach if I don't send you? Church family, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. But pastor... I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not a good speaker. Mm -mm, not me. 
Oh, pastor, I'm way too shy. I get way too nervous. Pastor, I just, I just, I just, I just don't think people, people will believe me. I just don't know enough about the Bible. I just, I just, I just. Okay, that's okay. Right? Here's the beautiful thing about God's grace and His mercy. It's not about you in the first place. It's not about your abilities. It's not about your oratory skills. It's not about your memorization of the Bible. It's not about you being a professional minister or, or being a Christian for a certain period of time. It is about the gospel. Remember, Paul said that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel, the message itself. I want you to hear me, church. This is going to be the most freeing thing you're going to hear all day, right? The gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. The gospel, the message itself, is the power of God, not you. Remember, your job is to sow the seed, not make it grow. The seed grows by itself. Your job is to sow the seed. Your job is to proclaim the gospel. Your job isn't to force or coerce or twist someone's arm or beg them to believe. Your job is simply to declare and proclaim the gospel. I want you to please hear and understand this. This is where so many of us get so wound up because we think the results depend on us. And if it depends on me, I better shut my mouth because I'm going to fail, right? Your job is to proclaim the message, to sow the seed, not make it grow. The seed will grow if it finds the right soil. The seed itself has everything it needs to grow. The gospel is a power for God for salvation. You need to declare it, right? But pastor, why is this so hard? Can we be honest, right? It's kind of hard, right? Some people get their hearts, I mean, some of your hearts are already racing thinking about it, right? You're like, oh my goodness, I don't even want to think about this. Why is this so hard? Well, it's because the hard, this, this part of the mission is hard because the world doesn't like this part of the mission. It doesn't. The world loves us loving people, right? The world loves us going out and meeting people's needs. The world likes us doing nice stuff, but they don't like us declaring the truth about our need for redemption. The gospel is hard for people to hear. Let's just be honest. Because it's offensive to those who love their sin. Because remember, in order to accept the good news of the gospel, a person must understand the bad news. And the bad news is you're covered up in your sin. And, and it is because of our sin that we're under the judgment and wrath of God. And people don't want to hear about the judgment and the wrath of God. They want to hear about this lovely God that's in the sky that loves everybody and never holds anybody accountable and who's there to be a cosmic buckler. Let me just pray and he'll give me what I want. That's the God people want. But people love their sin, and, and many of the things that people do and the people that are, they, they are engaged in is in opposition to God's revealed standard of righteousness. By the way, the Bible says they know they ought not to do those things, and what they do deserves death, but they not only do them, but encourage people to do them. Right? Those who love sexual immorality hate to hear that sexual immorality is a sin. Those who love money hate to hear that you cannot serve two masters. And that the Root of all kinds of evil is the love of money. Money's not the root of evil, by the way. Let me be clear. It's the love of money. Right? And those who love juicy gossip hate to hear that gossip deserves the wrath of God just the same as murder does. 
Confronting people about sin and their need for salvation is hard for people to hear because it confronts them with the reality of who they really are. Confronting people about sin is hard, but it's, it's necessary. Not to mention, it's the loving thing to do. Because let's just be honest, right? If you go to the doctor, right, you don't go to them because you, you feel good, right? You go to him because something's not right, usually. And when you go to him with something not being right, you expect, in fact, you demand that he tells you what? The truth. Even if the diagnosis isn't what you wanted to hear. Right? You expect for him to tell you if it's cancer, then you better tell me it's cancer. If I need to have my appendix out, then tell me that. Nobody wants to hear the diagnosis, by the way. Right? Nobody ever wants to hear the C word. Right? And we all know that getting that diagnosis causes emotional pain. But a doctor lying about it, withholding that, would not help, would it? In fact, it would be harmful. Or how about this? You go to your accountant, you expect them to tell you the truth. Even if they, the truth is you owe the IRS $10,000. You expect them to tell the truth because it's not professional or loving for him to spare your feelings for the moment by not telling you the truth, only then to let you suffer the consequences later on. Withholding the truth from people to spare their feelings is not loving, even though that in the moment it might feel like it, especially when the consequences are eternal. We must tell people the truth even when it's hard. Now I realize it can be hard to share the gospel because some people just outright will reject the message of the gospel. Right? Some people are hardened to it and they're just going to not want to have anything to do with it. And the tendency for you is you're going to take that rejection personally like it's your, it's like you being rejected. But it's not that. They're just rejecting the gospel. And guess what? That's not anything new. You understand that, right? If, if somebody, if you share the gospel with someone, they reject it. That's normal. It's not anything new. In fact, notice what Paul says here. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For the voice of, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who were not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, and notice this. Right? These are the people that God chose, right? Of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held my hands out to a disobedient and contrary people. The fact is that we're going, there are going to be people who reject the gospel, and Paul has been addressing that issue throughout Romans, but especially recently as he talks about why the Jews have been rejecting it. But the thing that we need to realize is that salvation is not of us. It's of the Lord. He's the one who makes the seed grow. And again, 
Paul says, he goes, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. The thing that Paul is illustrating here is that God can make the seed of the gospel grow in the hearts of the most unlikely people. If you've been a Christian for very long at all, you know some of those people. In your life, you thought, they ain't never coming to Jesus, right? They're never going to believe. And then guess what happens? God changes their heart and they believe. The Jews who grew up with the law and the word of God and were religious and were looking for the Messiah rejected the gospel. But the Gentiles who had no desire for God, who were rebels against God, were outsiders to his covenant family, heard the gospel and then gladly received it. Why? Because God changed their heart so they would receive it. God in His sovereignty and, his, and by the counsel of His will opened their hearts of many of these Gentiles and they heard the gospel, believed it, and called upon Christ and were saved. God by His own will redeemed the most unlikely people. Some people were hardened to the gospel. Some people had their hearts open. That's why we say we sow the seed, we love the people, and we what? Pray for God to do the part that only God can do, which is what? To change their hearts. Because unless God changes a person's heart, unless God removes that hard heart of stone and puts them in a heart of flesh, they will always reject the gospel. God is the one who prepares a person's heart to receive the gospel, and only God can do that. And so your job isn't to make people believe. Our job is to sow the seed far and wide and to proclaim the gospel to everyone we meet and, tr and trust that God will do the part that He Himself will do. And by the way, I've experienced this very phenomenon in my own life. As a new Christian, <clears throat> barely knowing anything about the Bible, I shared the hope of Christ with my brother. I've told this story before, but I shared the hope of Christ with my brother, and he changed. He repented and believed the gospel. His life, he went from an addict one moment to, to, to not an addict the next moment, right? He went from a guy who was living on the streets to within weeks had a, a place to live, a car, and a job. He went from a guy who had no prospects to, to a guy that was running multi-million dollar uh, warehouse operations, right? It was, it was amazing. And then, right, I shared the hope of Christ with someone else that I know and care about. And I could have swore they were going to come to faith. I knew more about the gospel. I shared the gospel and they didn't believe. I was like, what? How can you not believe? How can you not accept this wonderful news about Jesus Christ? How can you not believe? And I thought, I must have done something wrong. I must have didn't say it right. I must have not have said the right words. I must have failed. Right? But that wasn't it. The truth is, it wasn't ever about me. It was what God was doing in those people's hearts. And, and, and this is something that we need to be clear about. And, and, and because oftentimes people, when, when they begin to take evangelism seriously, they will think that, that a person's salvation is somehow dependent upon them and their efforts to reach other people. This is what we see in the American church today. That's why there's the seeker-sensitive movement, this idea that we we got we to gotta make church really comfortable and really attractive to people who don't believe and not ever use, you know, Christian lingo, so people don't feel like they're not part of what we're doing, and, and, and we don't want to say things that offend people, because we just, we just want to make it really comfortable, so by osmosis, they might just like us and want to stay. 
many people, they believe with good intentions that, that, that we are the ones, that our efforts are what brings people to faith. They, they want to see people come to faith so badly they're willing to do anything to help, help them come to faith in Christ, even to the point of distorting the gospel. That's why so many churches will talk about the fact that God loves you, which is the truth, but they fail to ever talk about sin or repentance or the wrath of God. Because they believe that if, if, if we share the tough parts of the gospel, the offensive parts of the gospel, then, then people won't ever come to faith as if salvation was up to what we do. God is the one who gives the gift of life. God is the one who justifies. God is the one who gives faith. Now, He does bring salvation through the works that we do because we are the means that He has ordained. We are to sow the seed. We are to be the instrument in His hand that goes out and sows the seed. And we are to love people, building those bridges for, for Jesus to cross on. But He's the one who changes the hearts. And this is what I've learned in my own life. My job is to proclaim the gospel and to keep doing it. That's why we say that we are to never give up. We sow the seed. We love the people. We pray for God to change our hearts and we never give up. And this is what I try to live by. The person that I, you know, who rejected the gospel is someone that I still continue to make a point to continue to share the hope of Christ with. And I have proclaimed the gospel many times to them in different forms and different ways. And I continue to, to do the things that I can do to show them that I care about them and show the love of Christ in my actions and attitude. And I want you to know that has made a difference. My relationship has, has grown. And I continually pray for God to change their heart. And I will continue to do so. And I will labor in faith knowing that if it's God's will, I will continue to do my part and He will redeem them. And I will continue to do so until He calls me home. And so this, brothers and sisters, is our mission. We are saved so we can spend our lives not just living for ourselves. We are saved to glorify God by helping to bring others to Christ. As Jerry Bridges again wrote, he says, we are not the terminus point of the gospel, but rather the way station in its progress to the end of the earth. God intends that everyone who has embraced the gospel to become part of the great enterprise of spreading the gospel. Or as Warren Wiersbe so eloquently said it, you were, you were a Christian because somebody cared. Now it's your turn. But how do we do that? I mean, we all, I mean... We can all do the easy parts, loving other people. It's easy to donate you know, some food to the food pantry. It's easy to help feed families. It's easy to get involved in the meal train to, to make sure that somebody gets a meal you know, that, that's going through a hard time. It's easy to buy Christmas presents. It's even easy to pray for God to change their hearts. It doesn't really involve much more than us spending time before the Lord. Right? But sowing the seed, that seems to be the hard part for, for all of us. How do we do the hard part and share the gospel? In fact, there are many people have told me, I don't even know how to share the gospel. I don't even know how to go about it or talk about it. Well, I want you to realize there are many, 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 many ways to share the gospel. And there are lots of books on the subject. There are lots of videos and lots of articles on the subject. And I'll probably even share a few of those things on social media. Uh, but there's a couple ways I have found that are really easy to remember and easy to walk through. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share with you a couple of these ways to talk about Christ and, and present the gospel in a way um, that's easy uh, 
to share the gospel with those around you. And today I want to share with you a method. I'm not going to share all of them. I'll just, I just want you to focus on one. I want to share with you a method I've taught the youth group and I think is easy to remember, and it's, it's to use the acrostic gospel. It's not complicated, right? It's the word gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, and it begins with G, which stands for God. The gospel always, by the way, begins with God, right? If the gospel starts with you, you start in the wrong spot, okay? The gospel always begins with God because God is the one who created all things. He is holy, righteous, and just, and, and He created us special to have a relationship with Him. This is important for us all to understand. If you don't realize that you were created in the image of God for a relationship with Him, nothing else will make any sense. But we were, we were created to have a relationship with God, but then comes the O, which stands for our, right? Our relationship with God has been broken because of our rebellion against Him, because of our sin. We went our own way. We have followed our own desires, pursued our own glory. We've made it about us. And now because of that, we are at odds with God. Our relationship with God has been destroyed, and now we're under His wrath and His justice. And then comes after the O comes S, which stands for sin. And the sin that we commit deserves justice. It warrants God's wrath because the wages of sin is what? Is death. And there's nothing we can do to overcome our sin. We can't fix it. We can't undo it. We can't change it, which means that we are helpless and hopeless. And by the way, that's the bad news. But then comes the good news. And the good news begins with P. P is for paying. You see, Jesus came into the world and lived the righteous life that you couldn't live to earn for you a righteousness you could never earn. And then he died paying for your sins. Jesus willingly went to the cross and endured the wrath of God on your behalf and died paying for our sins, and he was buried and rose three days later, proving that payment on your behalf has been accepted by God. And then comes the E, which is for everyone. Because the promise is that everyone who believes the gospel will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who believes will have eternal life and not perish. That's the wording that we see in the New Testament. And then finally comes the L, which is for life. Everyone who believes has life everlasting. When you put your faith in Christ, you're given the moment you believe eternal life, and that life begins the moment you believe and lasts for eternity. That is a summary of the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. And it's simple enough for junior high and high school kids can actually present the gospel. It's a simple way to share the hope of Christ with those around you. Now, I understand that you're not going to just walk out of here and then start reading this list to people, but it's a jumping off place for you to be able to have a conversation. And, and I want you to understand, I know this can be intimidating, and I know this can be challenging, and I know this might even be uncomfortable at times, but here's the promise that Christ has made. He said in Matthew 28, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations. We are to go out and share the hope of Christ with everyone, baptizing Him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
bringing them to be a part of the church, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, which is go outside and make more disciples. And he says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The promise is that Christ is with you as you evangelize the lost. The promise that Christ will be with us. And again, salvation is of the Lord. We do the part, God will do His. And so let's just settle on that. Let's just let that be the mission of our life, that we're going to sow the seed, we're going to love the people, we're going to pray for God to change their hearts, and we're not going to give up. We're going to sow the seed, we're going to love the people, we're going to pray for God to change their hearts, and then never give up. Right? This is what we are all called to. This is what First Baptist Church is being called to, that all of us collectively then walk out of this building and go storm the gates of hell for God's glory. And I know that expression sounds like, oh, but really it's as simple as, as you're living your everyday normal life, sow the seed, love the people, pray for God to change your hearts and never give up. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.